What child is this? That's the question I'd like to raise. What child is this? This is George Latour's nativity. It was painted in the 1600s. This is striking painting, isn't it? What child is this? One of the things that I like about this painting and was pointed out to me by one of our alums who's researched art for me all summer and will be using art, great works of art from many different parts of the world in our chapels where I preach. And what I learned from her, she pointed out in this that Latour was trying to make a point here. This is a, a picture of the baby Jesus, uncomplicated with sheep and kings with presents and wise men and camels and troughs and hay and even Joseph. It's a snapshot. It's a, it's a zoom lens on the essential fact. And it begs the question, the, 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 the strong strokes that he uses, the light coming out, begs the question, what child is this? That's the question I'd like to ask this fall. I, I had a, a transforming experience three weeks ago. The first year students are going to hear a story for a second time, but used for a different point. So I'll keep your interest that way, I hope. I had perhaps one of the two or three greatest experiences of my life three weeks ago. It started rather oddly. We, my wife and I were in a home in Tacoma, Washington, a small tract home, two bedrooms, in sort of a rough part of town. The next night, in fact, there was a drive-by shooting a, a block away. Eight shots were fired. And we were in this small home of a young couple staying there as their guests and and we found ourselves in an odd situation because in one of the bedrooms there was a blow-up jacuzzi about this high, maybe six feet around. And, and we found ourselves around that jacuzzi at 4.55 in the morning. Not in the jacuzzi, but around it. In fact, we were joined by another couple about our age. And then there was uh, another woman about our age, a single person, and then a uh, a person in college age sitting there, a young woman. And then there was a young man with long blonde hair. looked uh, like he came out of a, a Scottish movie of a warrior. But the oddest part was that there was one person in the jacuzzi. And the rest of us were all around this one person. It was a young woman, 24 years old. And she'd been in the jacuzzi since midnight. And she was obviously in pain. She sweat was pouring down her face, in fact, at 4.45. So much so that some of us got uh, washcloths and put them not just in cold water, but in ice water and would put it on her face. And it was so cold that it would take her breath away, but she said, keep doing it. She was in tremendous pain, yet didn't seem to look like a person in pain. Well, the woman in the water was joined by the Scottish warrior-looking guy. He climbed into the water with her and held her in her pain. The woman in the water was my daughter. The man who climbed in with her is her husband. And the reason she was in pain was because she was giving birth to my grandchild, my granddaughter, as it turns out. 
And we saw on that, those last two contractions, the work, the culmination of the work that she'd been doing. And all through there as a father, I saw her for the first time I saw my daughter. It was a new seeing of her. I saw the dignity of her, but I saw the dignity of women. I now understand the statues of Venus and Aphrodite. I was in awe of her as a woman. The courage, the patience, the working with the pain, the endurance, the patient endurance. And then that little child, Jordan Yvette Medsky, broke into the world. It was a water birth. It was an at-home birth. My daughter wears tie-dye clothes and things like that, too. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. But one of the things that it made me think is, why on earth have we trivialized two things? One, the birth of Jesus. And two, Jesus' statement that if you want to experience reality as it really is, you can't even get close to it unless you go through a birth that is from heaven, a birth that is from above. Why have we trivialized his statement that you must be born again or born from above? When I watched my daughter give birth, when all of us, the other older couple, were my, my son-in-law's parents, as we watched her, no one could trivialize the birth process. When Jesus said, you must be born again, born anew, born from above, if you even want to step foot inside the kingdom, he certainly did not mean that it was a trite decision to be manipulated out of you. For birth on earth is a costly thing. It cost my daughter nine months of inconvenience, nausea, and excruciating pain at the end. When Jordan Yvette was set on her chest, just seconds after she'd been born, my daughter's face changed and, and it was full of awe. And she just kept saying, my baby, my, it's my baby. We didn't even know if it was a girl or a boy yet. We were all just going, it's a baby, it's a baby. I mean, I don't know what we expected. <laughs> of course, in a water birth, you might think a dolphin or something, but no. We were in such awe at the process and at the joy of a human being. We didn't even think to ask, is it a male or a female, for 30 or 40 seconds later. Finally, someone said, what is it? What child is this? That picture calls out to us a question. I want to read a passage from Scripture when this child had grown a bit and was a great teacher. And the great teacher asked a great question, as all good teachers do. And I'd like to read it from the gospel. And I'm going to begin a tradition here at Westmont that is a tradition from the Anglican Church and the Roman Church, and I believe as well the Orthodox Church, that when we read from the gospels, we'll stand. So would you please stand? Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to wait to hear it because I'm in the wrong place. 
I may have to tell you the story. My apologies. Bear with me one second. Here we go. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? His disciples responded, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what do you say, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And then he said to them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to his glory in the company of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This ends the reading of the gospel. Please be seated. The baby is crying out, what child is this? The teacher, Jesus, put the question, not just in the generic, who do the crowds say that I am, but then he honed it in, as your professors will do in their various disciplines in class. But what do you say? I know so-and-so says that. I know so-and-so says that. But after you've studied those, what do you say about it? And Jesus put that question to them. That meant forever that it takes out the view of Christ that would simply be a view that thinks it's enough to understand things about him. He calls for personal allegiance. It's amazing that God, when he decided to step into the world, split the seams of human history and slid in from the womb of a Jewish girl from the northern stretches of Israel and Galilee. That when God wanted to make himself known, that he chose nine months of being knit together just the way we were in a mother's womb. That he went through the contortions of, of childbirth. And that he came into the world hooked umbilically to that Jewish woman, Mary. It tells us something about God. It tells us that he wants to meet us where we are. It tells us that he'll go to great lengths to tell us and demonstrate to us who he is. Such great lengths that they would take him to the cross. Mr. John Stothers, our musician, not only this morning, but it's going to be our privilege to have John with us all semester for about eight or nine chapels. He's a composer, as you could probably tell has written an opera which is going to be produced in New York a year from now, but it's waiting on the producer for that, and he's uh, working with us here at Westmont College. 
He pointed out to me for the first time that verse in What Child Is This? That nails and spears will pierce his side, will pierce him through. This, this child who died for me, for you. That even from the cradle, the child calls out to us, I am the living God, and I will go to great lengths to demonstrate my love for you and to sacrifice myself for you to build a way back to my Father. Great lengths. Not just the lengths of birth, not just the lengths of teaching, not just the lengths of death, but also the lengths of resurrection. Remember, that baby did not stay there. And I don't know if you can see this next painting very well. It's Rembrandt's, one of his many paintings of the resurrection. Let me describe it for those of you who can't see it real well. The central figure is obviously Jesus. And yet it's not so obvious because he has a spade in his hand. And he's got uh, a gardener's trimming tools in his belt. He's got the large cap to protect him from, from the sun. And Mary, who is still mourning at the side of the tomb, has not quite seen him yet. She's like this, and he's behind her, and she's turning to look at him, thinking he's the gardener, as we know from the biblical account. And the two angels are sitting on the tomb, and Rembrandt has painted them beautifully because they're really quite nonchalant. It's, uh, they'd be good postmodern angels. They're just hanging around. They, it's as though they resurrect, they're part of a resurrection scene. It's not that big a thing to them. The job is over. They've settled down for a little break. But Mary is still mourning, and she hears this voice, and she's turning. The Jesus who started in the cradle, moved to the grave, broke through death and hell, and came out in the resurrection is the Jesus who is there right now whether you have realized it or not. Mary has not quite realized it. Rembrandt's captured that, just that split second before she's figured out who it is. And she still thinks he's in the tomb, and he's standing right behind her. I believe that's the way Jesus is right now in your life. In every one of your lives, he's standing right there wanting to engage you with his eyes, wanting to engage you with his will, wanting to engage you with his thoughts. Jesus was the greatest thinker that ever walked the face of this earth. And maybe you're in the process of turning. Maybe you know lots of things about Jesus. Or maybe you need to learn lots of things about Jesus in our New Testament classes and in our theology classes. But he is wooing you from the cradle to the grave to the resurrection. He is wooing you to himself. He wants you in your entirety. Now, some could argue that I should say to you this morning, take your time in making a decision for Jesus Christ. For you first-year students, you have four years to think about it. Study it hard, wrestle with it, struggle with the philosophy that, that undergirds it, and make your decision slow and in a calculated way. You need to understand in order to believe. But many of the great thinkers down through the age, some of the greatest have said this. Actually, it's the other way around. You need to believe in order to understand. And so I'm going to ask you to consider a strange thing this morning in a first opening chapel. 
I'm going to ask you to consider answering the call of the wooing child Jesus, of the great teacher Jesus, of the Messiah, the Christ of God, Jesus, who broke the bonds of death, who paid for sin. I'm going to encourage you to answer his call today on the first day of perhaps your first semester or your senior year or your transfer in. I'm going to ask you to consider if you can turn like Mary and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ so that in your study and in your learning, you will grow to know him more deeply. Some of you are not in a position to do that. Some of you need more time to think. But some of you do not. Some of you can throw yourself into his arms. That will be conception. That may not even be birth. There may be nine months of labor. There may be four or five years of labor before Christ is really formed in you. There may be a lifetime, in fact, before Christ is fully formed in you. And my guess is it will take even longer than a lifetime. And I'm calling you to consider doing what Peter did. Declare yourself. You know, in the, in the old days when they had sailing ships, these men of war ships with the three huge sails, and they'd run into a fleet of enemy ships. They, the, the captain had to make a choice. He had to decide, do I pull down my flag? Because as soon as they see my flag, they'll know I'm their enemy, and they will come sink my ship. And there's more of them than there are of us. So they could pull down their colors, as they call them, and sort of quietly sail away on the horizon. Or do they engage in battle? And there was a saying that came to be known of, that, that struck the, the, the feeling of courage in, into the hearts of men and women. And it was this statement. It was, nail your colors to the mast. Because at some point in the lore of seafaring ways, some, some great captain decided to go up against great odds and he gave this command when he saw a fleet. He said, run up our colors, take this nail. He comes down with a hammer. He hammers the rope that holds the flag up on the mast. He hammers the nail into the rope so that there's no letting it down. Nailing your colors to the mast. It's a way of saying, there's no turning back for me. It's what happened to Mary as she turned and engaged Christ. It's what happened, I assume, to those wise men as they offered their gifts to Jesus, as they opened their lives to him. And I want to encourage you at the beginning of this year to think about nailing your colors to the mass, running up your allegiance and saying, I stand for the person of Jesus Christ. I stand for every word he taught I stand for all the love he demonstrated on the cross. I stand for all the power that's there in the resurrection. And I will live for him for the rest of my life, a forgiven person. John taught us a song. And in that song, it says, the word, it's Jesus speaking to us. I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. You, your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. We're going to be exploring this semester what does it mean to be a student of Jesus Christ, that disciple of Jesus Christ. And one of the things it means 
is allowing Jesus Christ through his birth, through his death, through his resurrection, ascension, and the giving of his Holy Spirit to allow Jesus Christ to give us a new identity, a new name, so that we move from woundedness to confidence, so that we move from a feeling of being outcast to the, the joy of being an overcoming one, so that we move from loneliness to faithfulness, so that we move from fear to friendship with God. Let's pray. Father, God of heaven and earth, we are astounded by the birth of Jesus. We're astounded by any birth, but we're more especially astounded by his, he who left all of the glory, all of the love, all of the freedom, and did not cling to that as his own privilege, but stripped it aside and laid aside every, every prerogative that he had and consented to being born for our sakes, to becoming a servant, a slave indeed, for our sakes. Father, may we strike our colors for him. May we run them up the mast. May we turn as Mary did and see him as risen Lord. May we decide to believe in order to understand. And may you give us a new name. Of God our Father, the love, the sacrifice, and the joy of Jesus Christ the fellowship and the encouragement and the challenge of the Holy Spirit be yours now and give you a new name so that you might seek his face. Amen. You're dismissed.